Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order of their delicious and nutritious protein bars. On tonight's episode, we'll be talking a bit about what happened between the end of the Flyers and Islanders series, as well as talking about the starts to Round 3, the Western and Eastern Conference Finals between the Dallas Stars and Vegas Golden Knights, and in the Eastern side, New York versus Tampa Bay, which is currently still ongoing but should resolve itself in just a few minutes. That that game is definitely over, so I wouldn't worry too, too much about what the, uh, what the final outcome is going to be, but we'll get there in, in due time. Speaking of the Islanders, we'll start off with talking a little bit about what happened in the previous round because I uh, was kind of watching the game while recording, especially on Friday night because it was pretty late in that game. For some reason, like the, the NHL scheduling of, of broadcasts has just been really weird. For some reason, they either put it during midday or like midnight, really late times. Not literally midnight, but close enough for my standards. I mean, you know, an 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. start time or even, heaven forbid, a 10 p.m. start time, that's just pretty late for me. This game, though, I, I probably didn't need to watch just because, you know, the Islanders basically suffocated the Philadelphia Flyers. You know, in a must-win situation, the Flyers pretty much got stifled for a solid 60 minutes. And, you know, while the goaltending for the Isles was great and the defense was great, it was just a bit of a, a poor performance from the Flyers overall. This was a situation in which they really just didn't get much uh, going at 5v5. It wasn't as bad as the Canucks game where Vegas completely stifled that offense. I mean, the Flyers were actually able to create some offensive opportunities, especially at even strength, but it wasn't the kind of danger and volume that you'd need against a team like the Isles because when they get a, a pretty decent-sized lead, they tend to shut up shop. And this is what ended up happening to the Flyers. Now, I'll do credit to Philadelphia. I think that they pushed the series as far as you would expect them to. Uh, on the whole, though, I think that their playoff performance was pretty dreadful. For some reason, there were two versions of this team, and the regular season version versus the playoff version was like a, a night and day comparison. During the regular season, they were fast, they were dangerous, they were able to create lots of high-danger scoring opportunities. There was a lot of movement and, and puck distribution, cross-seam passing, all of the fun stuff that you'd want from a team with as much offensive firepower as the Flyers have. Now, I, I know that they had, you know, Sean Couturier out for a little bit, but by the same token, I'm just not really impressed with what this squad put together during the postseason. And I think Vigneault's approach with this whole more defensively oriented dump and chase hockey just doesn't really make sense to me because it's not the hockey that ended up getting that team to a top seed in the Metro to begin with. The Flyers were one of the most highly rated squads entering the postseason because they really gave you a lot of offensive opportunities. They gave you lots of speed and they gave you plenty of, of firepower to really supplement what looked like a pretty good game plan. The version of that team that we got in the postseason just didn't really look anything like that regular season, high-octane, high-speed game plan that we've seen from, from the better version of the Flyers. And that, to me, is a huge disappointment. I think if the, if the Flyers were actually playing up to their standards and to what they'd done during the regular season, the series probably would have had a different outcome. The Caps against the Isles, of course, you know, the Isles basically shut out as well, and obviously the, the Flyers put up a much stiffer resistance, but all that said, I felt like the Isles really didn't have to do a whole lot, because their style of game was perfectly matched up against what both the Caps and the Flyers threw out against them. To me, the mistake Vigneault made was matching his game plan to what Trotz was doing, and I think that that is a, a central issue that a lot of coaches who get drawn into Trotz's scheme tend to fall into. 
you aren't going to beat New York using a trap and counter system with really defensively oriented hockey and just general sitting deeper in your own zone. That's not how you're going to do it because if you get into a grindy four checking situation with New York, you're going to lose that battle. That's like one of their best skills and one of the things that they do really well in combination with some underrated offensive talent. If you start to get into those corners and, and enter really gritty battles with the team, you're just not going to win that, especially in a seven-game series. Philly is built for fast speed and counters, which we didn't really see enough of, and I think that the way Trotz ended up countering that system was perfect. I think that he basically stifled what little bit of offense the Flyers were able to generate, and Carter Hart could not do enough to bail out the team. I will say that Hart did do a really great job of helping that team to get to a Game 7 to begin with, but overall I just think Philadelphia should view this as a massive failure and a huge missed opportunity. As far as the Islanders are concerned, I think we've still yet to see them really be challenged, at least as far as the first round is concerned. And certainly the second round, though it went to Game 7, really didn't feel like one that was going to get away from them. I think Trotz had it more or less managed, and unless Philadelphia drastically altered course, what we saw with them was what we were going to get throughout the rest of the series. Now, if you're Trotz... All of that stuff that I've been saying about the Flyers and the Caps really doesn't apply to the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is their next opponent. You go against Tampa Bay, that's going to be an extraordinarily different series. And I think one that, you know, the Isles are going to have to be really careful. This this Tampa team has so much speed and so much skill distributed across all four lines. And even their depth lines with some of their lower skill, perhaps grindier forwards, they have a lot of underrated finishing talent, and they know how to use their forecheck and speed to get you in trouble no matter what. Tampa Bay is just built to play differently than anyone else the Isles have faced so far. They're a legitimate challenge, and I think this is a series that does not favor Trot's hockey. You know, if Tampa Bay is able to get a lot of offensive zone possession and apply a lot of pressure on that defensive structure, it's going to crack. The Lightning have way more finishing talent, and their defensemen tend to like to score as well. You know, you've got Victor Hedman, Mikhail Sergachev, Ryan McDonough, Kevin Shattenkirk. That's a lot of big point shooters who can actually get the shots through, which is, uh, I think, a bit of a difference between some of their other opponents. Because of how much the Lightning like to crowd the crease and have a lot of cross-sea movement, if you've got big point shooters like that, it actually adds quite a bit of threat because there's yet another option, especially from much higher up the ice, to cause chaos down low where those forwards are just waiting to pounce on any loose pucks and rebounds. I'll talk about that first game later on in the show, but as you can imagine, I think the uh, the Lightning really took advantage of a team that has played a lot of hockey recently, and I think Trotz just didn't really have a game plan for how to counter what Tampa Bay does. You know, it wasn't exactly a really high-intensity, high-octane, lots-of-offensive-opportunity kind of game, especially to start through the first half, but what we kind of saw as time went on was that any small mistakes that any of the uh, the Isles made, whether it was in goaltending, a small defensive miscue, anything like that, the Lightning will absolutely punish you on, but I'll give you a little bit more of a detailed walkthrough in just a bit. Before then, though, I did want to tell you about the new and improved Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar ever. If you've never had a Built Bar before, it's more like a candy bar than it is a protein bar. It's got a nice dark chocolate exterior with a soft, chewy, flavorful interior. In addition to the 12 original flavors, including some of your favorites like coconut almond, raspberry, double chocolate, orange... You've got six brand new choices, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, 
and Apple Almond Crisp. If you're like me, you were probably wondering if Built Bars actually live up to the hype, and I've actually had the chance to try a couple of them, including the raspberry flavor and the mint brownie flavor, both of which I would say are my favorites, and they more than live up to expectation. Even more surprising is you can enjoy their wonderful flavors with none of the guilt. Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, so they're great for keto diets, as well as weight maintenance and weight loss programs. Most of them are 200 calories or less, with around 5 net grams of sugar, and between 15 and 19 grams of protein. To place your order, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your next order. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your next order at BuiltBar.com. If you follow my personal Twitter, you probably know that I am a bit of a geek. I like lots of comics and anime and games and whatnot, and I'll talk about it and chat about it on my on my timeline with plenty of followers and friends. Heck, I've probably mentioned it even on some of our live shows, including some like sports games and whatnot that you might be interested in. But I wanted to take a bit of a different approach and tell you about something that's a little bit closer to home for those of you living in the Winnipeg area. Y'all should head on over to yourstory.ca and check out all of Your Story Transmedia's comics, graphic novels, and games. Your Story is a startup publisher based in the Winnipeg area, and they don't just publish stuff in Winnipeg, they actually center some of their stories around the local area. They're launching a whole lineup of comic books, and their flagship comic, The River Knows, is a detective series set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. It's a supernatural noir mystery melding Mad Men, Sin City, and The X-Files. You can check out the ebook of the very first issue on Your Story for just $1.99, as well as ebook versions of all their other comics including Through Space and Time and stuff, Undercover, UFO, and Eon. You can also purchase first edition limited print run magazine style 8.5 by 11 versions of the same comics for $11.99. If you're into gaming, be sure to keep an eye out for their very first published game, Alien Machine Glow, which follows the misadventures of a cucumber farmer who gains the ability to see aliens. You can find out more about Alien Machine Glow as well as Your Story's other comic books and media properties by heading on over to yourstory.ca and if you place an order, be sure to use one time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Again, that is one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Earlier in today's podcast, I did allude to the fact that the the Tampa Bay Lightning were going to be taking on the New York Islanders and that the Islanders were going to have a significantly different challenge than their first couple of opponents. In rounds one and two, the Isles faced teams like the Caps and the Flyers who play a much different style than what Tampa Bay offers. I also mentioned that I thought that Tampa Bay's style might become a problem for Trots because the the lightning are capable of attacking you with waves of successive pressure this is a team that likes to grind you down with a lot of speed and a lot of offensive zone pressure not with like a lot of intensely physical forechecking but because of the amount of skill passing and speed that they possess they create loads of offensive opportunities that way rather than what the aisles tend to do which is that grindy heavy forechecking style that they're they've basically become renowned for throughout this entire postseason new york style has worked for them but i i think tonight they found some very clear limitations and the first limitation is that in a, a game in which you don't really create a whole lot of offensive opportunities especially throughout the first half if you make a mistake or you don't get enough saves it immediately becomes apparent that the lightning are capable of punishing you for even just small mistakes Tonight we saw the New York Islanders just get absolutely curb stomped by guys like Braden Point who have the ability to take over games kind of like McKinnon does, although I think the way that Point does it is a little bit different. He's not somebody who just seizes a, a control of the entire shift. I think the way that Point attacks you is that 
He's very capable of either possessing the puck himself and taking it to the net like he did around Ryan Pulak, or serving as somebody who is a, a very good passer and a, a puck distributor for easy goal-scoring opportunities like the one that he, I think he gave to Andre Pilat. The final scoreline on the night was 8-2, which I, I think you can guess was not exactly a great start for the Islanders. I, I think that you want to have at least some form of goal-scoring to try and make up for the crazy amount that you conceded, but that just wasn't really in the cards tonight. I felt like the Islanders were a little bit unlucky. They had a couple of opportunities that went off sticks, just went wide, or they didn't really capitalize on, and the Lightning instead just tore them apart. I mean, this was a really ugly game for a lot of reasons, and I think that the goaltending especially, you know, Grison Varlamov just really didn't have it tonight. And maybe the Islanders, especially early in the game, didn't really have it either. I think that they were tired, and the longer this game went on, the more Tampa Bay just seemed to exert its control. And I think that, that if that is a theme throughout the series, it's going to be a very short series. The one thing the Isles cannot allow Tampa Bay to do is to dictate the terms of every single game, because as soon as that happens, the Isles are going to be in defensive shell mode, and it's not going to go well. The, the one thing that New York has prided itself on is being able to create lots of offensive opportunities through a really heavy, strong forecheck and a lot of offensive zone possession. Right now, they're not really even getting to, the, to that stage because the, the Tampa Bay Lightning have shut down the neutral zone. They've managed to create lots of offensive zone possession for themselves, which forces uh, you know New York immediately on the back foot. And right now, the Isles just don't have a way to break that pressure, and I think that that is going to be a serious issue if, if they can't figure out a way to speed up their own game and get their counters going. I, I think that what we saw from New York is that they were playing with a lot more uh, trepidation tonight, and I think that that immediately caused them problems, especially once both Grice and Varlamov started having issues. And I think the craziest thing was for that most of the game, it wasn't like Tampa Bay was blitzing the net every two seconds and creating tons of sh scoring chances and shots on goal. But what we did see was that when there was net front chaos or they took a nice point shot from distance that ended up going through, they just seemed to, to punish New York for every single mistake, whether it was on the power play, at even strength, what have you. I just think the Islanders really didn't have their A game tonight, and they got punished pretty harshly for it. They needed saves, and they got basically none, so that's that's going to be an issue. And I think the other surprising thing was that Tampa Bay apparently did not miss any shot except one. Every one of their shots was more or less on goal, which uh, that's not great because I think, I think the Isles like to obstruct shooting lanes a lot, and I think that that's one thing that they very much make a, a core element of their game is shot blocking and shutting down those passing and shooting lanes. If they're not able to obstruct that, then it's going to be a serious issue because Tampa Bay easily has the kind of goal-scoring talent that is able to pick out those lanes and pick those really elusive corners against pretty much any goaltender in the league. You know, Grice and Verlamov are going to have serious trouble if that is, if that's kind of the theme, again, that, that continues throughout the series. So they can't allow Tampa Bay to dictate the speed of the game and, you know, certainly the puck possession and those shooting and passing lanes, which I don't really know how you can control for any three of those aspects at one time. Trying to manage one of them is hard enough as it is, but Tampa Bay has all of these different traits and characteristics of the way that they play that I think it's going to be an extraordinary challenge for Trotz to try and game plan around that. This isn't like, you know, Philadelphia or Washington where they didn't really have all of these parts working in conjunction. You know, Tampa Bay is going to throw the whole kitchen sink at you, and then if you're not really prepared for that, you're going to be out of the playoffs a lot faster. Intriguingly, Dallas, which I think is another team that I don't really understand, they had a very different outcome against their uh, their opponent, which is the Vegas Golden Knights. And Vegas is probably the closest comparable that I have to the way that Tampa Bay plays, but their their opening game was actually quite a bit different than what I what I expected would happen, and you'll hear about that in just a few moments.
Welcome back to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets show. You know, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, we were kind of looking at how Tampa Bay and New York played their first game of the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and I expected the Western Conference Finals to go the same way, but what ended up happening was actually pretty strange. Dallas managed to beat Vegas 1-0 in a game that I, I don't really know how to describe other than that it was very unusual. You know, Dallas was able to create tons of early offensive pressure and kind of get the jump against Vegas, which I didn't anticipate. You know, Vegas showed up definitely, I would say, from late second period and certainly through most of the third period and actually ended up evening, if not exceeding, the shot total that Dallas had created. And, like, they weren't cheap, chintzy shots. There were some pretty decent ones that Kudovan had to fight off. But generally speaking, man, this wasn't the kind of performance that we expect from Vegas. You know, Dallas is one of those teams that I have a hard time fully understanding just because... I look at the picture that the all the puzzle pieces of the Dallas Stars assemble, and it's not the same picture that's on the box, which I think is very confusing for me because there's parts of that team that I think are fantastic. You know, Miro Heiskanen is great. Rope Hintz can be pretty decent when he's playing well. Um, Dennis Gurionov is certainly a great finisher. Tyler Sagan has been all right, but, you know, Radulov, when he's playing well, is certainly a crafty veteran, and there's, there's pieces to like there. But on the whole... That team is very much a Jekyll and Hyde experience. They're capable of creating quite a few offensive opportunities, but they're also really capable of conceding tons of goals. And this was a performance that I thought really took me by surprise. A one nothing game against the Vegas Golden Knights of all teams, not really how I envisioned the series starting. It was a very tight and cagey affair, but I felt like at some point the dam was going to burst for Vegas because it looked like they were starting to find their feet as the game wore on, and yet... No matter what, they just couldn't seem to quite find that shooting lane or the scoring opportunity where the puck sat on their stick and got the shot to the part of the net that they were looking for. So it was just a a bit of an odd experience, and I feel like if Dallas continues to create these opportunities and shut down the rest of Vegas' offense, maybe they have a shot in the series. Like, I, I did not anticipate them being... As, as defensively resolute as they were last night, which in all fairness, you know, Vegas definitely had a couple of opportunities to crack that blue line and goaltending tandem, but overall I felt like Dallas had a pretty good performance, certainly better than I anticipated, and I think it's clear that D- Dallas would have been a much better match for the Knights than Vancouver, just because Vancouver is just not that great of a team. The Stars, though, really frustrated Colorado, and maybe they did the same kind of thing to Vegas. And if they somehow beat Vegas and and go against a team like, say, Tampa Bay, it's going to be weird to call because I think Tampa Bay is certainly the best team in the league right now, and I think that that is their crown to lose at this point, unless Vegas puts on a really massive performance, which we haven't seen in, in great consistency. You know, Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. I think the Lightning are capable of pretty much taking out any opponent and really putting a hurt on you. Again, if you make a single mistake or any part of your game isn't up to standard, Tampa Bay will punish it. But if Dallas does survive the series against Vegas, maybe there's something more to that Stars squad than what certainly I've realized. I I thought that this team was just decent but not outstanding or anything, and yet they've continued to defy my expectations, and I think a lot of people have been surprised. I think Micah Blake McCurdy, who had uh, plenty of models and stuff heading into the postseason, I think he had them as potential Stanley Cup favorites, but I think even by his standards that might be surprising. This is the bubble postseason, though, and anything that can happen will happen, and perhaps we're going to have Dallas and Tampa Bay or the New York Islanders as the Stanley Cup final. I I think the most likely outcome is going to be Vegas-Tampa Bay, but again, you know, if the Knights get knocked out here like they have in in other situations, 
you never know, man. Never know. That is going to do it for our opening round of Eastern and Western Conference Finals coverage. Be sure to check out the Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato, as well as many of our other affiliate shows who are currently doing plenty of interviews, prospect coverage, and series previews for the teams that are still in the postseason if you're looking for some external perspectives on other teams. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!